hello, fellow planeswalkers, and welcome to Into the Ether Vortex. My name's Ninja Boy, your guide into all the different ways you can enjoy Magic the Gathering and how they all come together into something wild, wacky, and a little bit magical. So hope everyone is enjoying and their explorations and adventures in Zendikar lately. Uh, apologies for the late episode. My microphone cable gave out uh, when I was about to record, so I had to wait till Amazon could deliver uh, the new cable that I needed. But we're back and running. Um, in any case, we've got Commander Legend spoilers starting up uh, next week, uh, tomorrow, I think, when this episode goes up. But in the meantime, you know, I wanted to give a status update on how my time with the latest standard set Zendikar Rising has been lately. Of course, the majority of my time playing Magic in this post-pandemic world has been on Magic Arena, and I've been splitting my time between Draft and Standard, and so far I've been able to get actually up to Platinum on each format. I uh, don't think I'm going to be able to get to Mythic anytime soon, I'm just not that kind of player, but it's still enjoyable where I'm able to get to. Uh, in Draft, I've focused mostly on Best of One Premier Draft up through Platinum, and then I've switched over to doing traditional Best of Three. In Standard, I've been mostly playing my own brew, uh, given the domination of Omnath in recent weeks and two consecutive banlist announcements that took care of my favorite elemental jelly bean, I obviously knew I wasn't going to really thrive or break the meta or anything since I wasn't playing that, but it's still been fun. Um, I'll talk about that decklist uh, you know, now, and let's dive into some of those numbers. So for my standard view, I've talked about how in the past I really enjoy edge of your seat, all-in strategies that tend to be on the aggressive side of things. Uh, in Ikoria standard, I was playing red-white cycling. In M21 standard, I was playing blue-red prowess. And then in modern, I play something between, so, some split of uh, mono-red 20-bolt and as well as seismic swans, uh, which is an izzet. So, you know, it's not really any surprise that I'm playing another red X deck, uh, red-white party. The deck makes use of the fact that one that the party mechanic in Zendikar Rising, uh, a batching mechanic that cares about having at least one eight of each of cleric, rogue, warrior, and wizards on the, your side of the battlefield, has a number of low drop creatures in red and white. Uh, in addition, you know there are a couple of payoff cards that really reward having a full party uh, when you have one of each class. So let's go through each class in the order uh, which creatures I selected for the deck and then which ones I uh, you know ended up I, I considered but ended up passing on. So first we have clerics. Uh, the first one, Archpriest of Iona, is a one drop, one two human cleric for white that gets plus one plus O oh for each creature in my party. So um, including it's oh it's actually an O2, but then when it you know it counts itself it's basically a one two. So it can go up to with a full party four two. Um, and then if I do have that full party, so, you know, three other creatures of a non-cleric type aside from the Archpriest, a uh, target creature I control gets plus one, plus one, and flying until end of turn, which, if it targets itself, becomes a 5-3 flyer. I'll explain actually later how it's not unreasonable to actually get a 5-3 flyer for one mana by turn three. Uh, the other cleric I currently am running is Skyclave Cleric for one in the white. Um, I get a 1-3 core cleric that gains me two life when it enters the battlefield. Not bad. You know, a 1-3 body is also, you know, a pretty okay blocker early on. Um, and the life gain can, you know, can help against more aggressive matchups. Uh, the other important thing about this one is that it can be played as a land that enters the battlefield tapped and produces white mana. Uh, we'll see this later, but I actually only have 20 actual land cards in the deck, so this prevents me from being somewhat mana screwed somewhat early on, even if coming in tapped you know, slows my deck down a little bit. Uh, the light game, you know, again, is also incidentally useful against more aggressive decks. 
Now, there are some other clerics in standard in red and white that were cheap enough, uh, mostly in white. Uh, Speaker of the Heavens from M21 is a one-drop with lifelink. Um, that said, it has a secondary ability uh, where if it, you have at least seven life above your starting life total, uh, you can create four for angels. This deck doesn't really do much in the way of life gain, so you know that that I don't think that that's going to be worth uh you know, worth worth that ability. Um, Anointed Chorister is also a one-one life linker with a mana sync ability. Later, if we flood out, um, but personally, I think I prefer the land consistency that Skyclay Cleric provides. Uh, Kaisel Cleric is a flying one-drop that does have a useful tap ability if its kicker cost is paid to pursue damage by getting rid of some blockers. Uh, and then Luminary Aspirant is a two-drop with a powerful recurring ability. Um, each combat to pump my creatures with a plus one plus one counter. Uh, though again, that actually has seen a lot more success in green-white plus-one, plus-one counter deck. I'm also considering Containment Priest, um, which is an option for reanimator decks since um, uh, it, if, it, if you end up using a reanimation spell on a creature from the graveyard and bring it on the battlefield, Containment Priest prevents that from actually happening. Uh, moving on to our rogues, we have Sneaking Guide, which is the only one-drop rogue in red or white. Uh, it's a 1-1 one, one for, uh, uh, for red mana. It's a goblin rogue that has a tap ability, uh, paying two mana, to make a small creature, power two or less, unblockable, which is pretty useful, um, I found, especially when the board gets pumped up. Uh, one of the best targets for that tap ability is actually the other rogue, the ever-popular Robber of the Rich from Eldraine. Again, only two, the only two-drop rogue in standard in these colors, aside from Conspicuous Snoop, which doesn't really add much value being in a non-Goblin Tribal deck. Um, as a reminder, it's a 1 and a red mana for a 2-2 Hasty Human Rogue Archer that, when it attacks, if I have fewer cards in hand than the opponent, I can exile the top card of the opponent's library, and then on turns whenever a rogue, including itself, attacks, those cards can be played using any colored mana. I'm actually able to snipe a decent amount of cards, uh, some cards that are actually pretty relevant to be played, um, be it other rogues, you know, from, from a rogue tribal deck, or, you know, it's really nice if I'm able to snag a counter spell and I happen to have any, some mana left up so that whenever I attack, I can protect my creatures from being removed. Now, I wanted to, this deck to be as low to the ground as possible, so I really, didn't really consider many things at 3 mana, but there are two other rogues at 3 that are, I, that are worth mentioning. Uh, Grotag Nightrunner does a similar thing to Robber. Um, for 2 and a red, I get a 2-3 Goblin Rogue that exiles a card from my opponent's library whenever it deals combat damage to a player, though obviously that's less pushed as it's limited to that card is limited to be played only on the turn that I exile it and only upon dealing combat damage, not just upon attacking and not, you know, um, and then, you know, not only on the turn that it's exiled. Um, the other rogue, you know, worth looking at is the Relic Robber, which is for two in the red. It gives a 2-2 Goblin Rogue with haste. And when it deals combat damage to an opponent, that opponent creates a artifact creature, 0-1, that cannot block and deals one damage to its control at the beginning of each upkeep. Um, again, this deck wants to be playing the uh the um the very quick game not the slow pace and bring them out one man at a time uh so you know i don't think that's what this deck wants to be doing uh, moving to Wizards, um, there are actually no one-drops at Wizards for Wizards. Um, however, there are two red Wizards that slid into the deck. Um, the first is Magmatic Chandler. Um, it's for one of the red is a 1-3 human wizard. Um, there is some text that about, you know, it gets bigger if there are instances, if there's some number of instances of sorceries in the library, or in the graveyard rather, but honestly that's not relevant since I actually don't run any instances or sorceries currently in the deck. Um, the key ability is the activated ability where I get to tap and discard a card to exile two cards from my library. 
um, choose one of those and then have the option to cast it and, or play it rather until end of turn. And this is a great way to pitch useless cards, either spells I'm not yet able to cast um, or uh, lands once I flood it out and I'm in top, top deck mode to dig deeper to my decks for more threats or you know even answers. Um, it also has, you know, the one free body is a decent blocker um, if, it, if push comes to stuff. Um, the second wizard is Fisher Wizard, which for one in the red gives me a 2-1 Goblin Wizard that when it enters the battlefield lets me discard and then draw a card if I have to do if I do so. Um, it's a weaker version of Magmatic Channel in that it's only a one-time effect. Um, it only you know essentially rummages one card deep as opposed to going two. How if I have the option, I'll generally play Channeler first before the Wizard, unless I'm trying to bait out a counter spell or a removal spell. Um, you know, as recurring card draw over future turns is more valuable. However, these cards do have me sandbag lands in case I top deck one of these instead of just playing them out, you know, once I'm at the maximum my mana needs. And that kind of leads to sometimes some weird situations where I'm holding back a land that could get me up to the maximum mana I need. But if I, my hand is empty, I want to be, and I, you know, I want to be able to hold onto that hand in case I draw, uh, you know, uh, Fisher Wizard. Now, there are a couple of other wizards that two mana, uh, but I do either require cycling or non-creature spells, which I don't really have. Um, I was also, I am also considering running Dranith Magistrate as a way to counter, um, well, at first Uros, um, though it may still find value if I keep running into red-black Croxodex, um, preventing them from escaping from the graveyard. Um, there's nothing really at three worth mentioning. Um, there, there is that you know one wizard that that uh, is in white that draws both opponents a card. Not really what I want to be doing in this deck, giving my opponents answers. Finally, at Wizards, given that red-white is in limited the Wizards archetype, there really is no shortage of warriors in this color. Um, however, surprisingly enough, there are only two at one CMC. Uh, Seagate Banneret for white is a 1-2 core warrior with the activated ability to pay four in the white, so five mana total, to pump the team by plus one, plus one until end of turn, which can be surprisingly relevant once I'm in that late stage of the game. Um, the other one is Fireblade Charger, a 1-1 one, one goblin warrior for one for red, uh, with some rules text about having haste if it's equipped, which I don't have any equipment in the field, in the deck, um, and also deals damage equal to its power to any target if it dies. Um, again, I don't have any ways to pump its power, so I'm only going to be pinging for one, which usually isn't relevant enough. Um, I, I For those reasons, I went with Seagate Banneret, also because the late mana sync ability um, is useful, as well as having a touch more survivability, you know, not just dying to spikeville hazards. Um, the other warrior, you know, is one of our, is the other major payoff, which is Squad Commander. It's a core warrior for three and a white, um, which when it enters the battlefield, creates a number of 1-1 one, one core warrior tokens equal to my party size. So generally at least two, uh, at least one and up to four. Um, and then at the beginning of my combat, if I have a full party, uh, my entire board gets plus one, plus oh, and indestructible until end of turn, which is why it's a pretty nice curve dropper. Um, so, you know, looking at these numbers, there are four classes, two creatures per class, and and my deck, I'm running four of each creature. So that's um, eight of each, so 32 potential party members in the deck. In order to increase the odds of drawing the right mix of party members, there's another key card I'm running, which is Stonework Pack Beast. For two mana of any color, I get a 2-1 artifact creature with subtype Beast. But it also has all four party classes at the same time, Cleric, Wizard, Rogue, and Wizard. Um, and Warrior, sorry, uh, letting it fill in any role that I am happen to be missing. Um, it's pretty flexible, especially if I drop it early on, um, that, you know, whenever I end up needing the top deck, you know, I have two options on what I need to, you know, fill out the full party instead of just one specific creature type. 
Um, it also has a prismite-like ability to filter two mana of any color into a different mana. So that's pretty useful. Let's say if I'm stuck on all planes, but I need a red source to cast, you know, Robber of the Ritz, for example. You know, or if I've stolen something that has an activated ability off of Robber of the Ritz that needs, you know, a different color mana that when I'm running in the deck, I can still activate that ability. Uh, this also functionally brings the count of all party types in the deck up to 12 creatures while still only running 36 cards. Um, now, the last non-land card that I'm running is Journey into Oblivion, which is the only form of removal I have in the deck, uh, more for being on theme than anything else. Um, on its surface, it's a pretty expensive Oblivion Ring. For four and a white mana, it's an aura that when it enters the battlefield, and it can exile another target permanent, so any permanent, you know, um, including artifacts or other enchantments, um, until Journey into Oblivion leaves the battlefield. However, it does cost one less for each party member, so that four mana can get four mana and white can get reduced down to just a single white mana. Um, which is you know pretty cheap of being able to take pretty much any threat on the board. Now, lands are pretty straightforward. Um, for each of the red-white modal dual-faced land, Needle Verge Pathway and Pillar Verge Pathway, um, and then seven mountains and um, and nine planes uh, for 20 lands total. Uh, since I'm playing best of one, I don't actually have a sideboard for this deck. Now, how does this deck play out? Well, the ideal curve looks something like this. Uh, on turn one, drop a Plains or some white source untapped and play Archpriest of Iona. And on turn two, um, I can either play two more one drops of any of different clances. So usually um, something like a, uh, you know, uh, the, the Banneret, which is the white um, warrior. And if I drop a red source, um, you know, the... Uh, the, the the goblin rogue um so then that gets archpriest up to three power on two mana on turn two or you know instead of playing two i can play a single two drop so you know robber of the rich if i'm the play is pretty nice to aggressively um since i'm pretty much guaranteed to get something off of the top of my opponent's library unless they've aggressively mulliganed down or you know either a magmatic channeler um to set up for you know digging next turn or the stonework pack piece if that's what i got i mean order to be kind of flexible on what i need to play on turn three which speaking of turn three assuming I can get a third mana into play, or, you know, even some cases where I only have the two mana, I assemble the full party by either playing any one drop, um, you know, to, mat to match if I have the, you know, three three party members by turn two, or a two drop, um, you know, or both a one and two drop, depending on what the board looks like. So, you know, at that point, I'm swinging for at least five in the air with the Archpriest, potentially more, uh, depending on how many other creatures I played on turn two and what their blocker situation looks like. Now, while this doesn't happen every game, the number of permutations on what I need or what I can draw to get to this draw is more than you would think. Um, now, to top it all off, with three or four creatures on the board, if you are able to stop these, uh, if I'm able to drop the squad commander on turn four, I can swing out with all the other creatures and then have four other um, you know, well, five creatures total, but four 1-1 one, one warrior tokens that can chump block whatever needs to be chump blocked from the opponent, um, who ideally, if they survive, will help swing in for lethal on the next attack phase. So that's a deck. How does it do overall? Well, I have been keeping track of my best of one performance against different archetypes um, through, well, because of the three distinct phases of standard since the set released, um, because of the different bannings. I've, I'll divide my analysis into those three phases. Um, first, pre-bannings. Uh, second, post-Uro banning. And then three, post-Omnath banning. 
So pre-banning, which is you know about you know a little bit more than a week um, from you know when it came out on Magic Arena, about a week before uh, things went on sale in paper. Um, I ended up playing 126 games with a 48% win rate, 61 games to 65. Uh, the most common matchup I faced by far was blue-black rogues, which I categorized most things that were blue-black that played some rogues and some degree of milling as the same deck. I know there's an aggro version and a more controlling version, a more all-in mill version, but but I'm not good enough to be able to uh, figure out which is which based on what's been played. So anyway, against this deck, I came up against it 18 times, uh, which is about 14% of the meta. And I had a pretty miserable 6-12 record or a 33% win rate. Um, you know, part of it is that they have, you know, just as, uh, can have as aggressive a draw as I can. And then if they drop Ruin Crabs, usually my creatures aren't big enough to be able to get around that. Um, so, you know, that, that, that was a problem. Um, plus, you know, a good amount of disruption, especially cheap disruption, um, is, is pretty good, good against my, uh, my deck. Um, the next most common deck was, of course, the four-color Omnath deck, um, both of the adventure variety as well as the more straightforward landfalls setup. Um, I came across these 12 times, or about 10% of the meta. Um, I had a better bit of better record, 5-7 overall for a 42% win rate. Um, in third place, uh, at eight apiece, there were three different de various archetypes of teamer decks. Um, though they may have been four-color Omnath decks, I just didn't see white. I don't know. Um, in any case, I was 7-1 uh, uh, against those or an 88% win rate. I think part of this was because Journey the Oblivion was actually fairly efficient at being able to take care of the Lucky Clover. Um, I also played Mono Green Stompy for eight decks, um, which you know usually ran with a lot of plus one plus one counters. Um, I went 50-50 on that at four four, and then I also played against a Simic Landfall or Adventure decks, um, which could have been Teamer. I just don't see red. You know, I'm never quite sure. Um, again, I had a 50% win rate at four and four. Um, also worth noting is the next deck I saw uh, most com pretty common was you know uh, the aggressive mono red deck. I ended up going one and six, which is a miserable fourteen percent win rate, and my worst of any you know significant uh, volume. You know, not counting those that had I came against once and lost to. Um, you know, I guess they were just more aggro than me, and plus having a lot of the cheaper removal, you know, especially in socks for my small creatures, um, really kept my board clear for them to be able to just barrel me over. Embercleave also is pretty effective against my deck. Um, I also did pretty poorly against Sultai decks, um, of which I faced five, going one and four for a 20% win rate. Um, mostly that's because Uro gaining three life whenever it was cast and returned from the graveyard um, was a little bit too oppressive for my more aggressive deck to overcome. So, Obviously, first the Oro ban comes along, and that kind of kills off this Sultai control deck I just mentioned. However, the Omnath deck, while losing this one piece, was still going pretty strong. So, how did my record during this next week period fare? This was about another week in which, you know, the, between the Oro banning and then the Omnath coming back, Omnath banning to come. Well, in that one week, I played about 171 games of best of one standard uh, with this deck, which improved my win rate uh, from just to just sigh of 50% um, from the 48% win rate, going 85 games wins and 86 games lost. Uh, part of that is I marginally improved my matchups against rogues. I ran into 32 of these decks, um, running which ended up getting a 38% win rate um, of 12 games versus 20 losses. Also, you know, with that numbers, it looks like about 18% of the meta compared to 14. Um, now, compared that 38% win rate to the, uh, you know, 33% weight win rate I was doing previously. Um, Omnath, four color decks, I also slightly improved against going 8 to 10 uh, over 18 games for a 44% win rate uh, with various Omnath decks holding steady about 10% of the meta.
Um, after those two decks, the other common archetypes were coming against 12 mono red decks. Uh, I went 4 and 8 for a 33% win rate, up against the 14% win rate I was doing previously. And also mono black of various varieties, you know, some straight sacrifice aristocrats, some, uh, you know, more Gary style decks. Um, I ended up going 5 and 6, uh, or about a 45% win rate there. Um, I also stayed shy of, just shy of even in the mono green matchup, going four and five, four versus five, four wins, five losses for a 44% win rate. Uh, generally, my poor performance against other aggro decks trying to go other Omnath, um, which made a, a more of the meta, were pretty bad. I am going 1 in 6 or a 14% win rate against the red green uh, aggro decks that also ran Embercleave, um, and then 2 and 4 against other red right, white decks, uh, mostly Winota dog decks. Um, however, against control or com control, combo or control decks, I actually did pretty decently. Uh, most notably, against mono blue mill decks, I went uh, 5 and 2 or about 71% win rate. Um, White-black aristocrat decks, I ended up going 4-2 and two against, or 67% win rate. And then red-white cycling, I went 4-1 four and one, four versus 4-1 four and one, um, at an 80% win rate overall. A team or landfill decks, lacking Omnath for the extra life game, I also beat, 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 beat pretty handily um, at 4-2 and two or 67% win rate. Now, obviously, we got another round of bannings after the, whatever they're calling the World Finals nowadays, Mythic Championships, I don't know, um, where Omnath got banned. So, you know, it's I, it's been a bit busier for me at work, so I haven't been able to get as many games in Standard. I also, you know, focus a little bit more on Limited. So, you know, as of this recording, I, I have crossed the 50% win rates. At 65 games total in the new Standard, I am 33 and 32. Um, obviously, a lower sample size, but, you know, what what is new here that I've seen? Well, for one, you know, previously I was seeing a lot of three and even four color decks, um, obviously with Omnath and Teamer. Um, but aside from a couple people who are steadfastly sticking to Teamer landfill decks and Cloverless adventure decks, uh, most decks are now sticking to one or two colors. Um, you know, aside, um, you know, aside from some random rogue Bruce, um, who usually quit before I was able to figure out what they were doing. Um, I still have yet to run against any mono blue decks. But, you know, I'm somehow doing better in the mono-red matchup. I'm only 4 and 5, or 44% win rate, as opposed to the 33% before the banning. Um, I'm also able to hold up somewhat against other rogue decks. I'm not quite sure how that happened, um, or how the decks changed in response to the Omnath banning that's making it better for me, but I am currently 8 and 5 against the decks for a 62% win rate, uh, which makes up 20% of the meta. Um, one deck that I has kind of come out, for, you know, in the in the app from the assets of the Omnath deck is the red black deck that plays like a combination of hand destruction and Croxa and reanimation and just lots of removal. You know, I think my deck is just fundamentally fundamentally unable to deal with all of that. Uh, I'm currently 0-6 against that deck, which makes up nine percent of the meta I've come across so far, um, which is the third highest deck. Um, which is this is why I'm definitely considering uh, running Dranith, uh, Ma Dranith Magistrate, the one that can prevent cards from being cast from you know anywhere except the hand. Um, I am still able to you know hand it to now that's I'm still able to hand it to Red White Cycling uh, with a three and O. Um, you know that said, most other matchup I've only had a couple of games against, so I can't really find any meaningful um, analysis of those. So how can I fix these decks? You know, I have a couple of ideas floating around. Uh, one is I can intensely slow the deck down um, instead of focusing exclusively on one and two drop creatures uh, in the hopes of getting the full party by turn three by double spelling. Maybe give up the double spell capability in order to play somewhat more resilient threats or threats that have better answers. Um, 
you know, I'm thinking Containment Priest to fight against random Mason decks and Vanish Magistrate against cards such as Croxa. Um, secondly, I can also probably be fit to run a little bit more removal of my own. Joining Oblivion is great, but it is kind of reliant on having a board. Um, and if I'm able, if I end up in an empty board and less than five mana, I'm kind of out of luck. Um, but you know, throwing in some cheaper targeted removal would be helpful. Um, there is the old standby of Sock, um, and potentially running Spikeful Hazard, you know, another mortal dual face card that can deal one and exile a creature for a single red mana if it dies, or it can also be played as a land, which you know that could be another option. Uh, maybe taking out some mountains for it. Um, thirdly, I could also work to get more card drawing aside from uh, Magmatic Chandler and um, Fissure Wizard. Um, is there may be an opportunity perhaps to combine with the cycling deck for my Coria with the party deck? Dranith Sticker could come in as a wizard, and Dranith Healer could come in as a cleric. Um, and then maybe substitute some cycling, for add in some cycling lands, or maybe one mana cyclers with utility and uh, and zenith layer perhaps. I don't know. I need to play around it a little bit more. Anyway, that's my red white standard party deck. Um, I have been also jamming the blue green budget magic deck that uh, Saffron Olive ran um, on Mentee Goldfick, the kicker deck. Um, I don't keep track of performance stats for that one. I've mostly been playing it just for daily quests that require green or blue spells, which obviously my party deck doesn't have. Um, I find that piloting that deck is a little bit trickier, um, but when I'm able to get a field of drakes out by cloning or having multiple copies of, of Roost of Drakes on play, there's hardly a better feeling in magic. Anyway, uh, let's pivot halfway through to talk about limited. Now, you know, I have I didn't do too much in terms of M twenty one drafting, um, but I am black back to platinum from starting off at silver uh, in. Um in Zendikar Rising. Uh, for, for Premier Death, overall, I did somewhere between 23 to 24 drafts. Exact number, I'm not sure. I think I might have missed a couple screenshots of decklists I was using to track uh, my performance. Um, ended up roughly with a 50-50 win rate with 65 wins and 64 losses. Um, of that, only one deck actually ended up going seven wins. Um, I had two decks that won six games, uh, one deck that won five games, four decks each for three wins and four wins, uh, five decks that went uh, two wins, three decks that went only one win, and two decks that sadly went 0-3. Zero, zero uh, so pretty standard uh, distribution, peaking somewhere in the 3.5 range. What do you expect for someone who's more or less rough, uh, breaking 50-50 win rate? Now, I did keep track of what my primary color pair for each deck I played one. I definitely splashed a lot. By my count, I had at least five decks, um, especially toward the end of my run, where I was winning at least three colors, um, and then three other decks that were, I was winning full four colors. However, most of the time, I was playing two-color party decks, and even in the decks that were playing multiple more than just two colors, I generally had a base color and then maybe splashing for one or two cards. Um, most, not all, um, I, I, I played most of all of the color pairs, but not all of them. I have yet to draft a blue-white deck as well as a green-white deck, um, though apparently I've heard that those aren't the best archetypes in the format, some of the weaker ones, in fact, so I'm not too upset by not being able to play those. Um, you know, or maybe I end up in that position by just subconsciously uh, avoiding those decks based to the limited podcasts that I listen to. Anyway, looking at overall, uh, I ended up drafting red-white the most at four decks um, of the 24. Um, I ended up going 11 and 12 with it for a 48% win rate. 
Um, on the other hand, my best performing as opposed to most drafted was blue black, where I went 11 and seven over three drafts. Um, that's the only color pair where I was able to get a seven win draft, um, though it's also one of the only ones where I got an O in three draft. So variance, I guess, maybe trying to force it where I shouldn't have. Um, I did also do three drafts each with a base blue red and a base blue green decks going 11-9 and 12-9 respectively. Um, in black green, I am going eight and nine, and in black red, I am I am currently six and nine with um, red green and white black. I've only done one draft each, uh, going two and three with white black, and one and three with red green. Uh, overall, my most winning color is blue, uh, going 36 and 28 for a 56% win rate. Um, it is also one of my most played colors, showing up in 10 drafts and across 64 games. So obviously, there is some bias for the more winning games leading to more, more you know, more winning decks leading to more games. Um, you know, most of my most successful decks: blue, black, blue, red, and blue green. Um, black is my next most winning color pair, uh, going 25 and 25 for a 50% win rate across 50 games, uh, being played in nine decks. Green also went 50% in fewer decks, only about seven uh, you know, decks across 42 games, going 21 and 21. Red ended up being my most losing color, uh, going 47% in 62 games, though that may be because I drafted it the most at 11 decks, including three of my lower win uh, rate combinations of black, red, red, green, and red, white. Uh, and of course, white being my least drafted color in 28 uh, games uh, across five decks um, with a 46% win rate. Again, I actually didn't draft white, blue, or white, green at all. I barely, I only did one white, black deck, so it was pretty much carried by my red, white decks. Now, I won't go through every deck, but I drafted, but here are some highlights. Um, so, you know, one of the early drafts I did, I went 6-3 and three with a pretty sweet red, white deck where I first picked Nahiri um, and got two of the red, white, uncommon uh, signposts, um, the, the warrior that gives a plus one, plus one to the entire team, um, and then uh, two royal eruptions, uh, which is, you know, one of the best comments, and so there's three equipment to, you know, synergize with Nahiri, um, and four uncolored modal double-faced cards. Um, as noted, I had one seven one deck, uh, which is a blue black roads deck with a sing with a pretty sick kicker package. Um, I pretty sure I first picked uh, Zerit San or early picked them, um, the blue black legendary rogue, um, and then I ended up also getting two Rooster Drakes and three into the Royals and four um, MDFCs. So you know that by itself would pretty much tell you if you've been playing limited that that's a pretty sweet sick deck. Um, I also had a 5-3 blue-green deck um, that was pretty sick kicker deck. Um, you know, I first picked a low mages domination, um, had Crag played Balath on the top end, which I believe I did get to the cast for 10 at one point, um, which, you know, pretty much is game winner on its own. And then there's, you know, a, a ton of nice kicker enablers and payoffs, um, 11 total in the deck if I'm counting it right. Uh, the final deck that got me the platinum was a 6-3 red-white deck, uh, splashing black for Zagras, Thief of Hearts. Um, the highlight here was getting like three Royal Eruptions and the Thundering Rebuke, as well as the common white angel that gains life to my party and a red uncommon wizard that deals damage equal to my party. Um, I will say I also, you know, the day of Omnath getting banned, I did draft an Omnath deck, splashing blue entirely off of just modal double face cards so they could cast themselves. Um, that being said, uh, you know, I don't think I did particularly well with that deck, but it was still pretty fun to, to draft an Omnath deck after it had been banned in Standard. 
Um, anyway, after do, doing best of one, I ended up grinding away at best of three draft. Um, though only 50% win rate uh, isn't cut. My 50% win rate isn't quite cutting it. So far, I've only gone six drafts in and I've won two every one except for my single 2-1 deck. So, you know, I don't think there's a lot of meaning in analyzing the color pairs that go here since I just have a really low number of best of three drafts. Um, I do notice I have drafted black in pretty much every single draft bu deck but one so far. Um, so maybe that's the sign that I maybe be staying away from black. Um, the one deck I did go to one in was a base white, uh, black, white, black clerics deck, splashing green off of three MDFC, green MDFCs for uh, Yasern, the white green legendary boar, uh, an Orn reef ooze, and Kazandu mammoth, um, which I believe either I opened or it got passed to me. Um, you know, I actually, you know, did splash a fair bit um, in, um, in when doing uh, this. Um, you know, doing best of three, which I I probably shouldn't have. I don't know. Um, I you know I did another white black base party deck, splashing red for a relic robber and thundering rebuke, and a black green counter deck that splashed red for Phyleth world sculptor, um, the red green mini avenger legendary. Um, that was a pretty sweet deck to sick deck to run. Um, hoping I'm able to put together a three zero at some point in the format, though. I guess I should be grateful I haven't yet zero and three to draft. Um, even if the prize payout for one and two and zero and three is basically the same. So. Um, anyway, that is what I've been up to with Zendikar Rising. It's been a wild ride so far. You know, I'm looking forward to, you know, I don't think I'm going to be doing as much uh, on Arena for the next couple of months. I, I'll, I'll be do it here and there, stream a couple of bit, uh, a little bit, but I don't see myself grinding out over 170 games of standard in a single week anymore. Um, but I'm, I'm still enjoying it. Um, I am looking forward to Commander Legends. Um, even if I can't play in stores, maybe I'll be able to get some webcam games uh, in with friends with my pre-ordered box. Um, spoilers for Commander Legends, again, start on Monday, and I'll be on Reddit putting up together master lists of the officially spoiled cards every day. Um, in any case, this casting of power is slowly, slowly coming to its resolution. How has your time with Jennifer Rising been? Or what boost have you been playing with? How far has draft gone for you? Let me know on Twitter at EtherVortexPod via email at into or via email at intotheethervortex at gmail.com. You can find Into the Ether Vortex on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and you can leave a review on any of those podcast stores or on podchaser.com. Again, links in the show notes. My architect with all of my deck lists is linked under the username NinjaBoy, boy with an I. Um, I also stream Magic Arena some Friday nights at, at NinjaBoy333 on Twitch. The intro and outro music is provided by Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. We cast this pod every second and fourth Friday of the month. Next episode, we'll be looking at what cards from Commander Legends I'll be planning to put into my decks and possibly even build decks around. With so much in the set, you know, that for Commander players, I may even need to do two full episodes for it. Um, but until then, may your lands be plentiful. But I'm too plentiful. And I pass the turn. Mm -hmm.